Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow is underway on this Tuesday edition. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live on this great radio partner or streaming live on our YouTube channel. Search out Outkick and subscribe. Join Chad in the chat and much more. Big show plan. Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He and 18-plus scouts every weekend at the biggest college football games and maybe some of the smallest, quite frankly, Division Three, even, uh, scouting for the best to be invited to the Senior Bowl coming up on February 4th. We'll get his scouting report coming up in 20 minutes on some of the top quarterback play, including Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix Jr. John McClain has covered the NFL for five decades. He's been on our show, Chad, for what? 20 years or so. Uh, Long time. He uh, he joins us in hour number two. And Kurt Schilling, he's back on. Always a great conversation and uh, storytelling from Kurt Schilling around Major League Baseball that's uh, in hour number three. Jack, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. How about last night? That's where we're starting with our top headlines today. Scorched Earth on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. So the Steelers win and the Browns last night lose Nick Chubb and somehow don't lose Deshaun Watson on a third quarter scuffle argument confrontation on the sideline where he shoves an official and there's no flag, there's no ejection, and that's just kind of protocol. Crazy from the the referee perspective that he he's lenient on Watson with things just blatantly obvious like the shove on Monday night football. Well, and I would also argue the Browns may have been better off had he been ejected from this game because he was terrible with the pick six, with the fumble uh, return for a touchdown. I, I like that officials are getting better about calling the offensive player for the offensive face mask. Yes. I think we've seen this in the last two of those. Two to three years, right? He got he got flagged for two of those. I, I I'm happy to see that because Hutton, I felt like for years and years, you know, the ball carrier could get away with a lot of silliness with what they could do with that outstretched arm, and especially on a face mask, that would go uncalled. And now that's changed. Two of them last night against Watson. He does shove the official aside. He should have been ejected from the game. He was not, but that ended up leading to a costly mistake that gave the Steelers the win, a night where the Steelers' offense couldn't do anything. Yeah, man, it was seven minutes to go in the fourth. Cleveland was leading that game on the road. They had lost 19 straight to the Steelers in Pittsburgh and make it 20 uh, because of the last turnover and the, the scoop and score on the fumble. Three turnovers on the evening in eight games now as the quarterback in Cleveland. He has uh, 11 total touchdowns and eight interceptions. Not good. And not good because now he's got to be the guy. There had been some discussion, Chad, over the the offseason about Kevin Stefanski, head coach of Cleveland, and the way he wants his offense to to flow. The, The rhythm is through the run game despite the options they have in the pass game. And that's because of Nick Chubb. Gruesome injury last night where he tears every possible ligament in his knee and the knees bent backwards and inside out on the replay that was shown in the stadium but not on ESPN. And 
the different angles that you can see on social media are ah, just terrible. The, the same uh, injury occurred for him on the same knee in Knoxville back in 2015 where Chubb, running back for Georgia, on the sideline took a hit, and it was, it was on a, a special teams play, I believe, with Juwan Jennings. Yeah, I was at that game. I remember it was so early in the game, I was walking into the stadium. I was in a line to get in and walked into the delay of Nick Chubb with that gruesome injury in Knoxville back in 2015. An awful moment. It's one of those that, you know, immediately I was somewhere where I wasn't in front of a television, but people are looking oh. at their phone and, hey, look at this. Oh, my gosh, this is pretty grotesque, but watch it anyways type moment uh, with that injury. Hate to see that. Um, and the only difference between college and pro with that is in this one, he's also torn his ACL. Yeah. That, that's the only difference. And it, you could tell just from the jump, he's, he's done for the year. Uh, without them even needing to see the replay, we didn't need to see the replay based on the reaction from those that had seen the play from the different angle on the opposite sideline. This sucks yeah. for Chubb and for the Browns because now they've got to flip into more of a, a, a pass mode and... That was the, the discussion about Stefanski. Can he keep his job by keeping the run game going when Watson's going to want to be Deshaun Watson from 2019 and he's got the guaranteed contract and uh, we've, you know, tongue-in-cheek said, he has the NBA model where the player can make the calls based on the money that he's making from the ownership group. You know, mathematically, we feel better about the Steelers, that 1-1 one one, right. as opposed to 0-2 after that first week and that absolute beatdown from the 49ers. I don't feel that much better about them as a team watching that game because, and I'll talk more about it later, but Matt Canada not helping mm -hmm. Kenny Pickett at all in that offense looking horrific in this game, almost as horrific as that injury to, to Nick Chubb and how horrific that is for the Browns' chances this year. That's the big difference. You leave week one, Browns make Cincinnati look bad. Now Cincinnati looks bad for a second straight week, so how important was that for Cleveland? And then I leave this game thinking Pittsburgh could do nothing offensively and you can't find enough. You can't get out of your own way to get a win and get to two and zero. Now I feel worse about the Browns. You know, coming out of this, also uh, just I, I thought kind of a much worse for Cleveland, no doubt, but sort of a bad night all around. I don't know that I feel that much better about Pittsburgh in a win after this game either. Well, they what they do is they're not staring up at two different teams that have a two-game lead in their division. Meanwhile, Cleveland, Chad, they've got to make some moves at running back. That goes w without saying. They, Jerome Ford stepped in and, and ran it well. I mean, he had 16 carries for 106 yards. Uh, but the real question is, how do they address the loss of Nick Chubb that was making a big chunk of, of cash, one of the top-played running backs in the NFL, and the, now back-to-back -back weeks on Monday Night Football. First Aaron Rodgers, now Nick Chubb, and... Who do they turn to? Jonathan Taylor is disgruntled and wants out in Indianapolis. There, uh, he's on PUP for two more weeks uh, in Indy, based on the uh, the fact that he's hurt or not hurt or whatever. They never took him off the phys uh, physically able to perform list. Cam Akers, they kept him out of the game in Los Angeles last week. Keep him healthy, and because Sean McVay doesn't want him there, he's on the trade block. That's no secret. 
And then Kareem Hunt, who certainly knows the Browns organization well, they can bring him back and sign him to their roster if they so choose. Plenty of options for Cleveland to address. The question is, how do they go about it? And who do they turn to first? Mary Kay Cabot uh, of the Cleveland Plain Dealer reports that they are already in on Cam Akers and possibly bringing back Kareem Hunt. But I would absolutely pick up the phone and call Indianapolis about a player that doesn't want to play for that organization any longer. Yeah, uh, Sean McVay even said, you know, he is likely to be traded, talking about Cam Akers today when he he talked with the media. Um, If you want to try to replace Nick Chubb, the closest you can get is Jonathan Taylor from a talent standpoint. Now, I don't know his full health. There's going to have to be a lot of questions about how hurt is he or is this more of a, hey, I had this offseason procedure and I also don't want to play for you, so I'm hurt, so let's just put me on the pup list until you decide how to trade me or get rid of me. If that's the case, I'm making a deal for Jonathan Taylor. No questions asked, no doubt about it. He's better than Cam Akers. He's better than Kareem Hunt at this point. I mean, I, I I don't think he's as good as Chubb, but he's close. And he's right in that ballpark. So if you don't want to take a big step down at running back and you feel like, hey, we beat Cincinnati in week one. Last night was an aberration. We can be much better. Then you trade for Jonathan Taylor. That's the move you make if you feel like you're truly a contender in that division. I don't think there's another move to be made. Cam Akers isn't – I mean, he's, he's an upgrade compared to what they have now, but it's nowhere near Chubb. The same for Kareem Hunt. Hutton, I think that it's a no-brainer. If you can get a a reasonable package together and you're not giving away everything to get Jonathan Taylor and he's healthy, which that's the big question mark none of us really know, I think you trade for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and since he was placed on the pup list, he's not eligible to return in Indy or practice even until going into week five. He posted, though, a video of his training regiment and the fact that he was running uh, at the team facility recently and the Colts fans were in an uproar because they were like oh he's back and this must indicate that he's on good terms or or better terms maybe not good better terms than where they were uh, whenever they went to the regular season but it also means he's showing that he's ready to go and that's also great for Cleveland if they wanted to make this deal it's a hype video for the next team to and and keep in mind too Chad uh, what Indy was asking for whenever they granted permission for him to seek a trade they wanted a first-round value in return. Where did they come off of that now? Because of the, you know, quarter of the season would be, you know, would be up by the time they're actually moving him. Don't know. And how? What do the Browns think about their chances? That's a big part of this. If if you feel like, hey, we're really a contender, we showed in that first week we are. They have a great defense. This was a, a hiccup. We have a championship-level defense. Deshaun Watson's going to figure it out. Amari Cooper is really good at receiver. We can get some things done. If you feel that way, then I think you are giving up something Again, pretty significant to go get Jonathan Taylor. I still say high, high ceiling, low floor. They're like the Anthony Richardson from the draft for this regular season. The well, in hunting through two weeks, that's you've been proven correct. Look at week one compared to week two and those results. And uh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how anyone can feel good about Deshaun Watson after that game last night and his improvement or lack thereof. Somehow, uh, transitioning to to college football, Travis Hunter and Deion Sanders are taking the high road and feeling good about moving on 
from the dirty hit uh, that Henry Blackburn took and, and, and to the ribs and to the, to the liver of, of Travis Hunter. And more on, uh, more on the response from Colorado State in a moment, and they're not suspending him. But here's Travis Hunter dressed in a giraffe, uh, giraffe uh, outfit uh, discussing how eh, it's just football. It's football though at the end of the day. Stuff like that's gonna happen. So I just stay humble. I mean, hey, you did what he was supposed to do. It's football. Something bad's gonna happen on the field sooner or later. We just gotta get up and fight again. That's what I try to do. Get up and fight. Good thing the doctors stopped me because if there was no doctors there, I would have still been out there playing. But I'm thankful for everybody that helped me that day. Yeah, you work on your speedy recovery. I, I love Everything about what he said. Do you love everything about the giraffe costume? No, also? I'm wondering, do you think he sleeps in that? I don't know, but the bedroom I thought would be a little bit bigger with NIL than he had. That looked like the room I had when I was in college. Like, it's good to see that, you know, guys still have similar college like apartments. Pink lights and stuff? Yeah, I didn't have lighting oh. to that extent, nor did I wear giraffe costumes. <laughs> um, I, I do find it funny when Colorado players talk about humility. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to stay humble. Uh, there's nothing humble about that program and their swagger and the way they go about their business. Hey, uh, this is this is an alpha-like response, though, from Travis Hunter. I, I love that he says, hey, this is football. I don't hold any ill will towards him. I, they, um, the, the humble part, though, is, is the response to this. You know, when you... Well, well, the humbling part is getting your liver lacerated on a hit. Well, but what would be... That's where sports has a way to humble you. Well, but what would be the the response if someone from Colorado did this, if, if the roles were reversed? You know, like, the, I don't... The response from the other team would be much more livid than what we've seen from uh, from internal aspects of the program. Yeah, external, I don't, I don't know. The, the death threats and stuff have to stop. Look... Deion Sanders and his sons have done a lot to fan flames, right? It's personal. Yeah. What is it? It's personal. And even when it's not personal, like with Matt Rule in Nebraska, they make it personal. So they like to fan flames, like to get this going. I have a hard time believing any coach or player in America, knowing what they know about Henry Blackburn and his mother receiving death threats, would then come back and double down and say, yeah, this guy's trash. He's a dirty player. Uh, he deserves everything he's getting. Like they took the high road, and I give them full marks for that. And Dion's opening statement of his press conference was beautiful and everything that he said about, hey, you know, the kid's playing hard. He's trying to make his way. He's doing the best he can. And no one should get a death threat because of a game. And he went out of his way to say that to start his press conference. Classy move by Deion Sanders. Alpha move by Travis Hunter to just sit there and say, even after he's injured, hey, it's football. You know, I've got no ill will towards I'm good with all that, but – I don't think any coach would have come back and, and doubled down knowing what they know about Blackburn and the death threats. Yeah, but uh, uh, Jay Norvell says it's just a play that happens sometimes upon further review. Yeah. That, that, that's not a play that just happens sometimes. I think the On guys... On the sideline, you can go shoulder or you can go right at uh, the, the rib cage or, or liver and you... Colorado State took their shot in that. Yeah, they, they took their shot. I mean, I, I, I guess it's what he's a, saying is like guys though. are trying to... If you dislodge the ball, I mean that was late. The ball wasn't in his hands. No, it wasn't close. Uh, that was that was him with a guy in front of him, and he took a big shot at him. He didn't go he- helmet to helmet. You know, I guess he didn't knock him unconscious. Well, but then would be he the would have thing. been. He would absolutely been suspended for that. He would have been 
out of the game and miss the next half of the next game. Yeah. That's um, why you don't go helmet to helmet. No, I mean, it was a dirty play. Uh, I mean, even, you know, Colorado State was saying, we don't coach that, right? Which is an admission right. that it's not the right play to make. But they're also saying, having talked to him, we don't think he was trying to injure him in that fashion. And I get that. I don't think he was thinking, I'm going to lacerate this guy's liver. Oh, I agree. And send him to the hospital thinking, I'm going to take a big shot on him. He's going to feel And this. put him on the ground and stand over the top of him and show him that I'm the dominant one. Yeah. That, that's what he was trying to do. Taking the shot instead of not. Yeah. And in the moment, Travis Hunter's not making that catch. We knew it because the ball was incomplete. But good job by Hunter and Dion in their response. Totally agree. We get back to college and the analysis next. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, if you were making your power rankings right now yeah. for the NFL, uh huh, is it Dallas number one or do you go somewhere else? It's definitely Dallas or San Francisco. Okay. I'm going Dallas number one, 49ers too. Okay. I, I still lean San Fran. Okay. Dallas two is and there then, a close is it Miami for you or the Ooh. or Philly? Philly hasn't played. Philly great. hasn't looked great based on man, but I mean you know, KC tight, the, the Chargers are zero and two and the the yeah. Dolphins want to shoot out with them. Not overly impressive. KC lost without Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey in Week One, but they're they're back. They're back. They, it's like they never left. But they. I it, feel like they it's never really still left. weird to look up and see 17 to 9. And that's the final score with Kansas City getting those guys back and all and it's supposed to be all as well, but it was 17-9. Ravens? I think you got to put Ravens in the Baltimore mix. Baltimore is I'm I'm with you there. I'm going Cowboys 1, 49ers 2, Chiefs 3, Ravens 4. Just based on what I think will happen, I think the Bills are in that mix, but you can't put Miami's them there based on losing there. to the Jets See, without I, Aaron Rodgers. I've, I've got – I'm with you I on put, the top I put two. Miami in there. I, Miami's three I, For By the me. way, Buffalo looked really good in the bounce yeah. back against oh. the Raiders this weekend. Yeah. That's the get-right game. Yeah. That's, no, I, that's supposed to be what we what we saw from, you know, the, for instance, the Giants. The get-right the get right game was supposed to be Arizona, and it ended up being the case, but it took – Two and a half quarters to, to get it yeah, going. And, and just what we've seen, <clears throat> excuse me, through two weeks, not what we think will happen or not what's been done yeah, in seasons past. It. I mean, the Chiefs are number one in the power ranking based on history, based on what we saw a year ago, based on probably what I think might happen. But if we're going by just what we've seen through two weeks, I think it's clear cut Dallas, San Francisco, one, two in either order. I'm curious about New Orleans. They win last night. Two and oh. Two and oh. And... Uh, Car is uh, looks good. I mean, he's got forty yard bombs. Uh, well, how about the NFC South? 40, forty yards or more. He's got more than any quarterback. Uh, you're right. Every, two and O Saints, two and O Bucks, two and O Falcons, and all the two and O teams in the NFC. Yeah, but the same. And then also, where do you put Detroit? I am so conflicted now on what we've seen in the defense of the Lions too against Seattle. Not not good defensively in that second week. But I, I think it's definitely 
in either order, it's Dallas, San Francisco at the top, and then you can pick between the other teams. I think Baltimore should get some consideration in that in that third spot also. And I, I like Miami and what they've done. I think Atlanta is still like top. They're between 10 and 15. Maybe they're right at 15. They will climb the ladder if they continue to win this week. Atlanta, New Orleans. The NFC South is going to be more interesting than we thought. I think that's what we're seeing early on through two weeks. Uh, going back to uh, Deion Sanders and his comments, Chad brought up, and, and he's right, that Deion taking the high road. Can we play that here, guys, or, or no? I'm not sure. We're, yep. we're waiting on Jim Nagy, but we may need to reschedule. I'm not sure. Uh, here is uh, primetime discussing the fact that we're, we're not going to see a, a suspension in regards to the hit on Travis Hunter and – the, the death threats that we have seen, reported, and admitted to from those within the Colorado football program about how things were handled from a fan base postgame. Henry Blackburn, I want you guys to record this and run with this. Uh, Henry Blackburn is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He made a tremendous uh, hit on Travis on the sideline. You could call it dirty. You could call it he was just playing the game of football. But whatever it was, it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. That that's This is still a young man trying to make it in life, a guy that's trying to live his dream and hopefully graduate with honors or degree, uh, committed to excellence, and go to the NFL. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. At the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win. Someone must lose. Everybody continues their life the next day. Very unfortunate. I'm saddened if there's any of our fans that's on the other side of those threats. I would hope and pray not. But that kid was just playing the best of his ability, and he made a mistake. So I forgive him. See you. Um, our team forgive him. Um, Travis is, he's forgiven him. Let's move on. But that kid does not deserve that. So I don't know if you agree. I think that minute and a half clip or however long is the best example of Deion Sanders being a face of a program in a university. That was perfect and spot on from primetime. Yeah. He can wear the hat on the sideline, you know, the, the cowboy hat in the spring game and the sunglasses at the press conference and you know, he can play up the the star power that he certainly brings. But that resonates across any college football locker room, any message to any fan base. Uh, that was a true leader speaking on behalf of the other end of what took place over the last 48 hours. I mean, he's a great communicator. We've seen that throughout his playing career, too. He's, he's great at conveying a message and whatever he wants that message to be. I watched the 60 Minutes profile on him and, and see him in all these pregame interviews and press conferences. And it's easy to see why he would be a good guy to play for. Yeah. If you're a player, you think, man, this guy's genuine. He's got my back. And he would be fun and exciting to play for if you're a, a, a prospective football player looking for a spot to play college football. I also like how he opened the, the press conference saying, I want you all to roll on this and play this a lot. I want to make sure that we're rolling on this next message. I like how he called a shot on that one. But that's the perfect message. And he says, whether it's dirty 
or just a hard football play or whatever doesn't matter here, whatever it was, doesn't constitute death threats. It's a game. Everyone's life goes on the next day regardless. It's a game. There has to be a winner and a loser, but it's a game at the end of the day. I thought that was very well said by Deion Sanders. And I'm with you, Hutton. I think one of his better moments as a coach that we've seen is the public-facing guy, the public-facing representative of not just a football program, but of an entire athletic department and an entire university. He is the guy for Colorado. I mean, nationally, he is the guy. Television ratings will show that. Oh. Of what people are tuning in, and, and they're watching in record numbers late into the night, early into the morning. How about that number? To watch Deion Sanders. It's, it's crazy to see those numbers. But, yeah, th- this was one of his best moments as head coach so far. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, best moment of Lane Kiffin's head coaching uh, tenure at Ole Miss is mentioning that Kevin Steele's not the defensive coordinator, not calling plays at Alabama. Nick Saban shot that down pretty quickly. Yeah. Does, he doesn't buy it. No, and this is Lane Kiffin psychological warfare. Just uh, Lane Kiffin is like the the third grader that learns early on how to just get under everyone's skin and constantly does it on the playground. This is not him outwardly disrespecting Nick Saban, his former boss. He, I don't think he would ever do that. This is not him, you know, going after the Alabama program, but just subtly stating that it might not be Kevin Steele calling plays. And instead, it might be someone else. And, hey, I'm, guys, I'm just – I'm not trying to – it comes back and says, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this. You guys in the media, the big bag media, made a big deal out of this and ran with it. I'm simply stating that in our film study as a coaching staff, we saw some things that weren't Kevin Steele. And, hey, maybe – you know, I was there for years. Maybe we know people. I've got people on my staff that were there for years. Maybe we know some things – about what's going on and who's calling plays. I think it's a brilliant move by Lane Kiffin. I don't know how much it affects Alabama, but the fact that Nick Saban had to be asked about it and respond to it in a press conference shows that Lane Kiffin got exactly what he wanted from all of that. Well, what he didn't do was the low-hanging fruit that is Tommy Reese in that offense. You know? Yeah. And, hey, uh, let me point this out, too. I find it interesting that when Cole Kublik, post-game interview after Ole Miss wins on Saturday, clearly, and Cole admitted this, like in his ear, the, the production, the director is saying, hey, might want to ask about Bama next week, which I don't think Cole was going to do because they were discussing what had just happened. And so he says, hey, you know, got Bama next week, back on the road. And instead of making some, you know, mention about the fans, you know, going back in, you know, like, probably bring in extra security or whatever jab he wants to point to. He just goes, yeah, uh, guess we got to go to Tuscaloosa. Uh, yep. Nick Saban. Yep. And just walks off. <laughs> I mean, that that's different than what we would expect from Kiffin, who I think it's kind of a, I, I don't know if he's trying to distract from what's about to happen in past years or not, whenever he's joking around and he's making little uh, quips and, 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 and jokes and, uh, trying to jab at the program a bit, or at his own, you know, maybe at himself in some some cases, and the the time spent there, and you know, football rehab, as many call it, coaching under Saban. He didn't do that this time because I think he knows Bama's for the taking, and I think Chad, a lot of programs are looking at it that way. This is the year to get them, and 
maybe it's the, who knows, last year to get Saban if you want to get a piece of the Alabama Crimson Tide and that they're having a down year, especially on offense, which is uh, horrendous. Allie in the chat says, Kiffin is the OG Dion, if you ask me. I'm sure he hates having the spotlight on another remote school away from Ole Miss and at, so. at Colorado. Um, it's he's, a different, he's getting paid nine, nine and a half million dollars. It's now. a different manner in which they go about it. Dion has always been primetime going back to college. Yeah. He's always been this persona. Lane Kiffin is not a big boisterous personality. That's right. He's a he's, little bleep. <laughs> he's just got that personality, right? He's just the little, uh, there's something I want to say that I won't, I know, you know, I, word I'm talking about. Yeah. He's a, he's a, an MFer. In other words, he's a guy that just gets under your skin, and he's got that in him, and he loves it. He loves that bit of confrontation. He loves knowing Hutton. If he's coaching against you, Jonathan Hutton, that, man, I think I've pissed off Hutton, and it's hilarious to me. It's funny that my friends are mad at me now. It's funny that people hate me on social media because I really don't care. So many guys and girls out there will say, I don't care what people think of me. And when they say that over and over, I don't care what people think. What they're really saying is, I really care what people think. Anyone who tells you over and over how much they don't care what people think about them, they really care what people think about them. I think Lane Kiffin truly doesn't care what people think about him. He's just that type of personality. He's not some big flamboyant dude that's going out there saying anything. And by the way, I use that terminology to describe Lane Kiffin as a compliment. We we all know that person, and many times we envy their ability to not give a bleep about what anyone thinks about them. That's him. And he loves that you're mad. He feasts off you being angry about something or you being emotional about something. That's what gets him going because he's not angry and emotional about most things. And, I mean, the other part of that is underneath him, they've got a really football, a really good football-savvy coaching staff. Uh, Pete Golding is there now. Of course, that ties in with Alabama. Because he jumps over and joins Lane Kiffin as the defensive coordinator. You have uh, uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. calling plays uh, on offense as the co-offensive coordinator. And he's also coaching their quarterbacks. They have a good quarterback room. Um, yeah, I mean, I, from from him down, it, it's a it's a nice coaching room underneath him. I just don't know about the the element factor of his team, Kiffin's team, going to. Bryant Denny Stadium. But everyone I think knows this this Bama makeup is very beatable. Because you don't have yeah, to battle I, the quarterback. Look, I could see Ole Miss going in and winning pretty easily in this game based on what we see from Alabama. I could see Alabama just slamming the door shut in like a I don't, twenty to seven uh 24 to 13 okay. type systematic win. Yeah, I don't where feel they shut like down. I did for the Texas matchup. Yeah, they shut down Quinshawn Judkins and the running attack yep. from Ole Miss, and Jackson Dart can't really get anything going. And that Alabama defense really shows its teeth in this game. I could totally see that for an Alabama team playing at home, also. But it also, I mean, look, it's not going to shock me if Ole Miss goes in there and wins because so far through three weeks, Ole Miss has looked like the better team than Alabama. They have, uh, but they've been fortunate with some of the matchups. Yeah. Like Tulane not having to. Yeah, Tulane. I mean, you really go back. Tulane had chances, and that was with a backup quarterback throughout the second half of that game. Uh, Ole Miss pulls away, and it looks like a great win. But, again, backup quarterback. Chad, uh, I'm eager for your Friday segment of your top 
college football games. Yeah. They're top 10 because there are six ranked matchups on the slate this weekend. A little bit better than last week's slate. Uh, yeah. It's the first time there's been this many ranked matchups on a September Saturday since 2006. Wow. There were seven on September 16th, 2006. Hunt and I cannot wait to dive in after you gave me that bit of info. By the way, uh, if we just look at the rankings right now, week 11, there will be seven ranked teams facing Here each we other go. in week 11. It's takeoff time. Jim Nagy joins us next. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network rolls off. Chad, we've been discussing uh, Colorado and Dion a lot. Everything he says is, you know, we dive in and try to figure out whether or not he's taking the shot here or there. And he's wearing the sunglasses. Is he wearing a bigger hat today than he was yesterday based on comments? One of the comments that he made recently was he's just trying to get his guys to the senior bowl. Oh, that's a great endorsement for our next guest. Yes, Jim Nagy joins us, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Joins us weekly uh, on Tuesdays. Jim, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, guys. Good to see you, too. Hey, the uh, Offensive Player of the Week uh, for the Reese's Senior Bowl uh, this past weekend, Jaden Daniels. It, this is the LSU that I expected to see against Florida State, and he brought it in a near-perfect game against Mississippi State's defense. Yeah, I think that that was the Jaden we all expected to see against uh, yeah. against Florida State, uh, and we didn't get it. But he's a really good player, guys. I mean, he of all the quarterbacks we we evaluated last year, you know, so Jaden was eligible to play in the Senior Bowl a year ago. Uh, it felt like he was the most improved one from beginning to end, and uh, you know it, that that whole thing kind of snowballed on on LSU in that opener. Florida State was just too tough. I mean, their offense was too was too much to handle for for that LSU defense. Um, but Jaden's a really good player, man. And he, you're right. He played basically mistake-free football, uh, over there in Starfield the other day. His numbers were incredible. And, and, uh, and that's a good miss. That's a competitive Mississippi state football team. And they, they put it on them. Yeah. Especially known for defense, right? Defensive minded coach there now. And, uh, to do it there, that's a, a good judgment on where he is right now. I'm curious though, uh, Jim, from your perspective, how much do you actually think back to, what a player was, for instance, with Daniels, he's at Arizona State, and he ends up transferring into the SEC and at LSU. Do you see and, and track the development of a player as well as it, just in the scouting background that you have? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think I think it's uh, critical to do that because then it, it really helps you gauge what the ceiling of the player is. Um, so yeah, we go way back. I think my first time I ever saw. Jaden Clay was his uh, true freshman year there at Arizona State. We had a receiver um, that played in the Senior Bowl named Brandon Ayuk, who's uh, turned out to be a really first-round draft pick, not, play, a really good player bad. for the San Francisco. Yeah, not bad. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, and uh, and he and he went off. There, it was at Michigan State. They played Arizona State, played at Michigan State, and and uh, Ayuk had a good game. And and you saw this scrawny little. <laughs> freshman quarterback that was about 160 pounds out there playing so he and I joked about it when we saw him at SEC media days when I was up there seeing you guys in Nashville Jaden and I laughed about that because I asked him what he was weighing he was like 208 pounds that day um, like man you're up like 50 pounds since your freshman year he's like yeah it's, it's been steady weight so um, certainly he's come a long way 
Jim, I love Michael Penix Jr. in that Washington offense and, and the way he operates that offense with such consistency and accuracy throughout the game. What do you make of his play so far this season, and, and what do you think about him as a possible pro prospect? Well, they've had a you know they've got a couple teams on the schedule that look like you know kind of big boy early season games: Boise State, Michigan State. I, I don't think he's been truly tested yet. Uh, they came out, they were kind of feeling out Boise state. I did watch that tape kind of feeling them out for about a half. And then, uh, kind of like a boxer, you know, they were taking their jabs and then, uh, in the second half, they do what Washington does. They, they, what they went for, uh, the haymakers, they started throwing, throwing the deep bombs. And that's what he does as well as anybody off that play action pass and just hitting you deep into Penixis. You know, he does have three really good wide receivers, two of them, Roma Dunsey and, and Jalen McMillan, um, are two of our top graded receivers for the senior bowl this year. So he's got weapons, but, but yeah, in terms of off the play action game, he, he might be the best in college football. He's certainly great taking those deep shots. And you, you mentioned with Washington and some other, you know, power five programs, maybe they ease into the season a little bit. Uh, oftentimes you don't start with your staff, uh, the real scouting process until this week with power five guys. Why? Just because you're watching them against smaller schools, this is really the first two, three, four weeks of the season from like an NFL scouting perspective. And that's what we've tried to bring here is uh, you're watching mostly small school guys. You're watching the smaller school guys play up in competition rather than the bigger school guys play down. So, um, you know, for these guys in the SEC, uh, I had an agent call me yesterday and ask me about an SEC player. I was like, man, I haven't even got to him yet. Like there's no point in watching that tape. They've played three three really small schools, um, you know, group of five or FCS level schools. So what's the point? Why don't we just wait till, you know, they play some SEC, get into the heart of the SEC schedule and, and spend the time on it then. Cause I feel like if you're watching that stuff this early, you're just kind of spinning your wheels. You're not getting, you're not getting a really good evaluation. And you can really uh, learn about the, the small school talent and, and then the coaches and the scouts in the league want the senior bowl to be the, they want that to be where you see a player in a different scheme or maybe he's a inside maybe he's a, a pass rusher a defensive end can he play linebacker and you can see them against the better talent there too uh and, and some of it just works out to the player's benefit based on scheme that they're in and scheme they're facing but Colorado State is a good example of that uh, this past weekend uh, Jim with with Tony Horton explain what you picked up on based on scheme and how Colorado State used Horton to impress future NFL scouts and coaches that will be on their radar. Yeah, so he he, he was one of our players of the week. He was the co-offensive player of the week with, with Jaden Daniels. Um, but yeah, what they did with Horton, he caught 16 balls the other night against Colorado. I don't know how many were just shallow crossers. They were running kind of a mesh concept underneath where they're just running two crossers, uh, you know, dragging across the middle. Probably 13 of his catches came like that. Um, but again, you're always trying to look at what are the takeaways? Like, okay, they're going to keep using them like this and it's great. It's what they're doing. Colorado stated man coverage. They never really went to his own. Um, so they were running those concepts and, but the takeaways were one, he's super tough. I mean, you watch the guy working in the traffic, he is not afraid to get hit. So that's one cool takeaway. And then the others, you're running him into some corners across the middle and you see this guy who's six foot two, just slam on the brakes, stick his foot in the ground, get up field. And not a lot of guys that, that are built that kind of angular, uh, if you will, kind of a leggy and uh, can really can really slam on the brakes. 
the way that Horton was slamming on the brakes. So, and he's a really good punt returner. You see that in his skill set too, the ability to stop and change direction. So he had a great night. He threw a touchdown, threw a dime on a, on a touchdown um, to his tight end, but yeah, really good all around game, but you're not going to see everything at the college level you want to see from these guys. And, and that's the value of, of having a senior bowl is we bring them down here and, and showcase them a little, little bit differently than sometimes their colleges use them. I, I was reading this past weekend. There are some in the league that believe this is the best quarterback crop that we've seen, I don't know, since whenever, coming into the draft <laughs> next year. Do you buy that already? We will see. We will see. I think certainly that the knowns are Caleb Williams and Drake May are, are very good prospects. They'll be they'll go in the top five, top ten easily. Uh, you know, we're big fans of Bo Nix, um, just based off what he did last year in his first year at Oregon, coming from from Auburn and really getting rid of some bad habits he developed at Auburn. Uh, really cleaned up his game a lot, and, and they haven't really played anyone yet. Um, I take that back. Texas Tech is a good football team. That's that's a better win than it, it might look like to some people. Uh, but now they're going to get into the meat of it. They've got Coach Prime coming out there. Um, and we'll see. We'll see where the rest of the class goes. I think there's a lot of guys that, that still need to prove it. There's a lot of guys in new new situations. You've got Devin Leary from NC State to Kentucky. And I think on the show we've talked about Sam Hartman going from yeah. Wake Forest to Notre Dame. So there's still some guys. Now now we're getting into the conference schedules. And now we'll start, we'll start seeing who's going to separate uh, from who. But there's certainly, from a, a pure numbers, volume perspective, it's it's certainly the biggest class we've had in the last six years since I've, I've been here at the Senior Bowl. Jim Olmes at Alabama, big the big SEC game this weekend. Wide receiver Trey Harris is a guy that you're very interested in. Why? Yeah, I hope he's healthy. Um, he, we're interested because he was a, a transfer from La Tech, and we didn't really know a lot about him. You know, coming from the group of five level, he was one of those guys that needed to prove it. Well, then – you know, he, he bust out on the stage week one um, with a four touchdown game against against Mercer. So, again, FCS level opponent. You got to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. But uh, no, I mean, this guy's again, six foot two. He can run routes. Uh, he can run after the catch. So there's a lot to like. So there is a couple guys in that matchup. Like we hope he's healthy. He's been banged up. Uh, you know, Quinshot Junkins, the running back has been backed up. That's allowed a guy like Ulysses Bentley, who's who's our stock up player of the week this week after what he did last week at Georgia Tech. He's a guy that that uh, if I'm a Crimson Tide fan, I wouldn't get comfortable that Quinshot Jungins isn't playing in this football game because what we've watched of Ulysses Bentley from his time at SMU as a young guy a couple of years ago, really talented guy. He's an NFL talent. So uh, that's going to be a great matchup in Tuscaloosa. I feel like I was just up there a couple of weeks ago for Texas. Um, and now, now here we are turning around a couple weeks later with a big old Miss matchup. So um, that'll be a good one in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night. Where are you headed this weekend? I am headed to New Orleans for my daughter's 15th birthday. Um, but That's I will right. be going to the two. I will be going to the Tulane game. We are taking our daughter over there. Uh, my wife's going to take her on a little shopping trip, and I'm going to hit some football. Uh, and then we have dinner planned at night. So that's. Uh, Family, family took me to Auburn last year for for parents' weekend for my son in college, and now um, I've got this game in New Orleans because of my daughter. How much do you want to be at Notre Dame, Ohio State? Would love to be there. There's no better <laughs> time to be in South Bend. Um, I've been to a lot of games in South Bend this time of year. You get, you know, late September to mid October when those colors are changing on campus in South Bend. Uh, that's a beautiful campus, one of my favorites in the country. And in this time of year, crisp air, um, man, it's going to be it's going to be an awesome matchup. This may sound extremely dumb, probably, 
Can Marvin Harrison Jr. do anything to help himself moving forward? Can he only hurt himself? No, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, again, when you, when you really look at it, we, we used to be able to do this when I was with the Seahawks. All the teams can do it now. This is one thing that's made scouting a lot easier over the years. Now that tape is digitized and you don't have to like throw in an actual beta tape or super VHS tape and, and spin through it and all this stuff is you know digi digitally broken down, we, we used to be able to watch guys based off the prospect matches. So like if we had a certain grade level on a corner against a wide receiver, we would only watch the receiver against those draftable corners, right? And, and over the course of the season, like he's not going to play against a draftable guy every week. You know, he's just picking on people that are far inferior. So in a game like this, there's going to be a corner, Cam Hart, for Notre Dame, who's a big 6'2 corner, big long-arm corner. So he's a, it's an NFL-type matchup. Um, and they'll want to see him compete and how he holds up physically against an NFL size corner. He's not going to see a lot of that, even on the Ohio state schedule. So, um, I wouldn't agree with that. I think, I think, uh, I think a guy like Marvin can always help himself. Jim Nagy's been our guest executive director of the Reese's senior bowl players like Puka Nakua, uh, roll through and you've got uh, the still of the draft so far in Los Angeles, Jim. How about that? How about what Puka's doing, man? Unbelievable. He, uh, what does he have? First player in NFL history with 10 catches and 100 yards in his first two games. I mean, unreal, unreal. Yeah, he was he was uh, he was a fun guy to scout at BYU. You saw a lot of the same stuff um, that you're seeing now. You saw the ability to get open and he's not like super explosive. So like some of the run after catch stuff, you just I mean, crafty would have been the word to kind of describe yeah. Puka when he was coming out last year. Kind of sneaky, athletic, if you will. But uh it's cool to see it translate because he's an awesome, awesome young man. He was a lot of fun to have down here in Mobile. And uh, what, it, what it tells you is that if he's got Matthew Stafford's full confidence and, and Sean McVay's full confidence to make him the guy right out of the shoot as a rookie, it just tells you how dependable he is, tells you how smart he is. A lot of these rookies are swimming in the playbook right now, and he's obviously on the same page with a, a longtime vet like Matt Stafford, so you know he's, you know he's got it up here, which is, which is pretty cool. The players that you're seeing uh, play great out of the out of the gate. Uh, been through the Senior Bowl. Uh, uh, Jim Nagy is in charge of all of it uh, down there in Mobile. The executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. We love this each week, Jim. Uh, get back to it, and we'll catch up next weekend. All right, guys, have a great weekend. Enjoy yeah. New Orleans. All right, guys. Always love his take on uh, college football weekends on what he's seen. He's got me wanting some crisp air in South Bend, Indiana, also, with that description of, of yeah, that campus man. and what it's going to be like this weekend. That that would be one. That's a, a bucket list for me. Never been. Me either. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm in. Tell me when. <laughs> Let's get after it. Uh, coming up, we do just that. So, the case that the running backs are, are, are making about needing more, it was made last night. I'll explain. Plus, the case of Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett, it was made last night. Chad goes in on that. Straight ahead. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. <laughs> 